what you get in Harry Potter is uh, a much more helpful uh, formation of a, a character of self-giving love. Hi, Internet. Welcome to episode five of Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning author, a celebrated humorist, and I once won a chicken dance competition at a roller skating rink. True story, highlight of my life. Um, This is a podcast where I talk to people who have changed their minds about important and often controversial things. Um, Some episodes we talk about politics, Some episodes we talk about religion. This episode we talked about Harry Potter um, because what could be more controversial than Harry Potter? Um, My mom, the other day when I was talking to her, she was like, Luke, are you ever going to have somebody you disagree with on your podcast? Which is a little bit cold, mom. I just, anyway. um, This week I definitely did. And, you know, for the record, I have in the past, but I definitely did because I am kind of a huge muggle. Like, I feel like I have tried very, very hard to appreciate Harry Potter, and I just don't get what I'm supposed to like about it. I just I don't think the books are very good. And I think the movies are in general pretty bad. Um <laughs> But I had someone on the on the podcast who changed his mind about the series. Um, his name is Caleb Woodridge, and he's an editor out in the UK. Um, and what he told me was when he first encountered the books, he thought they were at best likable trash. Um, but as he read through the series and got to the end especially, he decided that they were indeed great literary masterworks that deserve a place in the canon right there next to Narnia and the Pridane Chronicles and the Lord of the Rings and, I don't know, Oprah's biography or something. Um, So yeah, it was a bit of a contentious conversation because I've actually gone in the opposite direction. (laughs) As I got further and further into the Harry Potter series, I was very much like, ugh. Uh, this is getting worse and worse. So we definitely uh, disagreed a little bit. Um, I tried to keep my opinions to myself until the latter half of the conversation. So if you want to hear the really at each other's throats stuff, you can skip to the second half of the podcast. Um, In any case, it was an interesting conversation and I'll go ahead and send you there now. See you on the other side. Welcome to episode five of Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and I'm here with Caleb Woodbridge. Say hi, Caleb. Hello. Greetings and salutations. Caleb is the director of digital marketing for um, what school do you say you do digital uh, marketing? University of Buckingham. Yeah, I'm uh, head of digital experience there, but I'll be uh, finishing up there shortly to work as uh, publishing director of InterVarsity Press uh, UK, which is a Christian publisher. So yeah, I'm here with Caleb. We're going to be talking about 
Harry Potter today. Um, if you're new to the show, just a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick crash course on what we do. Um, I talk to people who have changed their minds about big and important things and what could be more important than Harry Potter. Um, the reason is because, you know, there's kind of an ugly tone in public discourse right now. Um, and I want to know why people change their minds. Um, so this is about 20% research project, 80% therapy for me. Um, so does, does that percentage keep going up every episode? I, <laughs> you know, I should make, I, I should do that. Actually, it's uh, that would be a good running joke. But actually, I have been saying eighty twenty every episode. But <laughs> I'll make it. I'll, I'll make it go up like one percent each episode and see if anyone notices. That'd be great. <laughs> um, all right. So let's start with you, Caleb. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Uh... I live in the United Kingdom and uh, I grew up in Wales, which uh, is very definitely not part of England. It's a country <laughs> that sits next to England and that got uh, invaded by the English uh, several hundred years ago and the Welsh have not forgotten it. <laughs> so uh, so I grew up in a tiny uh, Welsh town of around uh, 3,000 people nestling up in uh, the mountains. If any of you have um uh and if your listeners know the the dark is rising um series of books by susan cooper uh some of the uh action takes place in snowdonia uh just down the road from uh where i grew up um and I was quite a nerdy kid, so I spent uh, most of my time uh, with nose in a book. Uh, and I was uh, 11 uh, when the first Harry Potter book uh, came out. And so sort of just the right age, so you might think, uh, to enjoy them. But uh, I think... Um, uh bas- basically uh i was really snobby about <laughs> about the harry potter books uh I-, I was like um uh diana Wynne jones is so much better and why why is jk rowling getting all this all this hype but uh i did end up changing my mind which we'll uh, get on to um yeah and i've grown up i went to uh university in um in Cardiff, the capital of Wales, uh, studied English and history, um, done various things, um, uh, digital and publishing, uh, bounced around a bit. Uh, London ended up in uh, Bletchley in uh, England, which is where I am now with my wife and uh, two uh, small kids, a toddler and a baby. So uh, that's a little bit of context for for the story. <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah, that is what we're talking about today. Is Harry Potter uh, basically likable trash, or, or is it a great <laughs> literary classic? Um, you know, some some weeks we talk about politics, some weeks we talk about religion, some weeks we talk about pop <laughs> culture. So that's what we're. Uh, I don't want every episode yeah. to be deadly serious. Um, 
I, I feel like uh, my change of beliefs is much less consequential than some of the other guests you've had on, like um, uh, pacifism, sort of cha- changing, uh, converting to Eastern Orthodoxy when you're a Baptist pastor and gi- giving up your job. It's kind of a bit lower stakes than that, but <laughs> I think there's plenty of uh, kind of, I guess, cultural significance to to Harry Potter and lots of uh, stuff about attitudes to stories and what they what they mean to us that can can come out for it. So hopefully it'll still be worthwhile. But and yeah, in an era when of... in an era when everything is politicized, I mean, <laughs> there's yeah, I feel like everything is fair game for this show. And you know, I have said I do want to mix it up because I don't want. You know, I don't want everybody, every episode to be deadly serious. Um, interestingly, I feel like I actually kind of went on the exact opposite direction from you on Harry Potter. Um, ah, I, I, right. I definitely would have at one point thought it was, you know, a literary masterpiece. And now I kind of think of it as at best likable trash. So this could be a contentious <laughs> conversation. Um, I'm interested to... Um, yeah, I'm interested to hear about what uh, what you thought, though, and what you think now. So why don't we focus on your story, at least for the time being. And when I get overly angry, I'll jump in and start berating <laughs> you. It'll be great. Um, so, yeah, why don't we why don't we start at the beginning? You said you were about 11 when Harry Potter came out. Um, so you and I might actually be about the same age. What year were you, what year were you born? Uh, so 85. 85. Okay. So we were born the same year. So yeah, but obviously being American, I didn't hear about Harry Potter until significantly later. I was probably almost in high school by the time it caught my attention. Um, so anyway, yeah. Why don't you start at the beginning? What? How did you discover Harry Potter? Uh, what did you think of it then? That sort of that sort of thing. So I think um, I first remember seeing it. We used to get these um, uh, uh, magazine book club things from school uh, where you could order um, kids' books. You'd uh, look in the catalogue and um, you'd get um, get the chance to... Um, uh, get your parents to sort of give you your money or spend your pocket money, um, uh, take it in, and then the books would be ordered and distributed through the school. And I first remember seeing, um, being aware of Harry Potter from seeing uh, it listed in uh, in those. Um, and my first thought was, uh, oh, philosophy, cool. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, Harry Potter and uh, the Philosopher's Stone, as it's rightly known, um, uh, was the first book in the series. And I'd recently read uh, Sophie's World uh, by Justin Gardner, which is all of them, it's kind of um, YA-ish uh, way into um history of philosophy and I, I was like oh that sounds really cool so <laughs> i was then a little disappointed that it was uh, uh just um uh, a uh a sort of kids uh adventure series um and actually i i didn't buy the book at the time i think i ended up um uh borrowing uh the books from the library and uh i think i probably um ended up reading um, Chamber of Secrets first just because that was what was available at the time uh, and then uh, went back to Philosopher's Stone and got on to um, 
Prisoner of Azkaban, and that was around the time where I was 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 reading them. Those first three had been published, uh, so it was it was popular, but it hasn't reached the sort of crazy levels of hype um, that it later did, um, and and I enjoyed them. Uh, but then when it started getting popular, it's like, why this series? Uh, it's good, good fun. It's, uh, it's fine. as uh, fun ad- adventure, but there've been other, other books that have done like, uh, Wizards in School, uh, the Worst Witch series. Um, uh, Diana Wynne-Jones has done plenty of like that really funny, um, uh, uh, low fantasy uh, type stuff, and I did buy the fourth book with my own uh, own money, which was a step. But then I was like, "Ah, uh, oh, this is far too long. She's being far too self indulgent. Um, uh, it's lost its way." Um, and I uh, donated that book to the charity <laughs> shop. <laughs> um, so, so that 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 that's kind of. Um, uh, yeah, where where I was, and I think um, it wasn't particularly that I was trying to be cool or impress anyone because I was totally <laughs> uncool, and um, this was kind of before nerd culture was um, really mainstream. I was uncool <laughs> before uncool was cool, um, so so it was it was very much just uh, just me then. It sounds like you and I kind of went through a similar. Um, transition with these books then i'm not sure <laughs> i'm i'm not 100 percent sure when i first encountered them <laughs> but when i when i first encountered them i was honestly pretty excited you know because i had um i had um you know kind of bought into this culture of like reading is fundamental you know like this this whole school culture of why don't kids read more we need to get kids to read more you know um, so when I saw them, I was like excited about like, Hey, kids are reading. You know, I was a kid at the time, obviously. So I don't know why I was trying to be all, you know, whatever, but I was like, Hey, kids are reading and they're reading something <laughs> with actual kind of high literary quality or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. Um, you know, cause at the time, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, YA publishing in America at least was like goosebumps and you know, Sweet Valley High. So that was kind of how I felt about Harry Potter when I encountered it. I was like, hey, look at this wildly popular series that actually has literary aspirations. Um, but as I got, yeah, as I got into the fourth, fifth book, I was I was like, okay, she has, J.K. Rowling has clearly started believing her press a little too much. She thinks her these books are much more important than they are. She could have easily cut 500 pages out of this book. (laughs) And I, I never, I tried to read the fifth book. I don't think I ever made it past the first hundred pages of the fifth book, fifth book. Like I, I tried once when it came out and I was like, eh. And then in my adult years, my wife got really into Harry Potter and I was like, okay, I'll try really hard to like it for her. And I, I tried with the fifth book again and I just never made it. (laughs) <laughs> page 50 or so i don't think and i don't think i made it any further into the movies either because i i get the vibe that the the general consensus is the third movie is the only one worth watching and <laughs> so I, I, I don't think i ever made it past yeah. the fourth movie so um I, yeah i think um prisoner of azkaban is definitely my um 
favourite, definitely of the books. It's up there with the films. I would say that I think um, of the films, The Order of the Phoenix, so book five, the film is the one that's um, uh, compared to the book um, uh, um, improves on it the most, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> which might be damning with faint praise but um <laughs> uh, but i think i think it um uh it does really um uh benefit from being told in a more uh tightly focused way than the book does when i do think um uh the later books would uh have benefited from a a bit more of a a rigorous rigorous edit and a bit of uh uh, red pen to tri- trim down some of the digressions. <laughs> I did hear a, a an interview with um, uh, someone who'd been um, uh, an editor for um, uh, Scholastic, who published it in the US, and uh, there I think her attitude was that they felt that the fans really wanted as much of the Harry Potter world as possible. So uh, who, who, who are they to, um, uh, to sort of uh, try and uh, trim it down when they knew that there was the, the audience for it, which I'm not quite <laughs> convinced by. I think there's a, a kind of a, a little bit of... Uh, um, laziness. <laughs> um, I think seeing more of something is not always a good yeah. thing. I think the Star it's... Wars prequels showed us that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, keep, keep keeping an eye on um, uh, plot and pacing, and um, yeah, I'm definitely not an uncritical fan of Harry Potter now, but it has uh, gone up much, much higher in my my estimation by now. Well, why don't we um, why don't we continue down that little trail and uh, go on to this question? Like, why did you first um, start to change your mind about Harry Potter? Um, well, I did I did keep reading the books, um, and I guess um, it was fairly quickly that I sort of rode back from. Um, uh, uh, oh, I'm I'm not interested at all in them, um, so. Uh, I uh, I read they'd usually come out in the summer holidays and um, I'd often um, sort of uh, buy them jointly with my my sister we'd would sort of split it between us and then we'd share the book we'd sort of uh, start I uh, the first person would read one chapter then the second person would read two chapters so we'd constantly <laughs> be leapfrogging and we'd sort of read it within a day or so when it came out and part of that was just uh, a lot of people were talking about it, it as joining in but I think at that point I was um I was still like um I'm enjoying it, but it's it's popular trash, so it's a bit of a guilty <laughs> pleasure um, uh, type type attitude to it. And uh, to be honest, kind of semi skim reading some of the, <laughs> the longer mm-hmm. ones uh, in the weekend is probably quite a good way to get through uh, some of those uh, more digressive um, uh, um, sections. But uh, but yeah, uh, so. Uh, I, I, I was reading it and um, I think the thing that began to interest me was kind of seeing um, that there were certain themes that were tracking through um, really quite 
uh, clearly and I thought being well well integrated into the story so um, so there was uh, as it revealed more you could kind of see that it had been well constructed both in terms of plot and character in terms of having been planned um, at least in um, significant uh, amount of detail from the start and just seeing uh, oh yeah is it is all fitting together uh, and it's it's heading somewhere definite it's got it's got something to say I was like oh uh, uh, perhaps 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 it will um, deliver and uh, deliver more than I I first realized um, and I think it was after the fourth book it became clear that it was heading into a more uh, serialized grander uh, whole story arc across the series rather than just being um, a villain of the year uh, popping up <laughs> to menace Har- uh, um, uh, Harry Potter uh, but I think it's um, uh, some of the stuff that came in and the whole thing around Harry's mother and her having sacrificed herself and that having continuing significance in the whole, um, uh, in the fifth book, you begin getting uh, hints that that's uh, what's going to, uh, in the end, uh, defeat Voldemort and the sort of gleam of triumph that Dumbledore has when hearing that um uh, Voldemort used some of Harry's blood to help bring himself back and and, and stuff. There were uh, intriguing clues that both on a plot level and on a thematic level um, suggested that, yes, this had been planned and this was uh, going somewhere um, uh, interesting. And I think it is worth saying, I'd probably say that um, distinguish between uh, Harry Potter being... Um, great storytelling versus uh great um writing in the in a technical sense Mm -hmm. so i think on a sentence by sentence level it's quite um it it does the job (laughs) Um, (laughs) there's you're not reading it for the sparkling prose or um elegant uh metaphors or similes or anything uh like that when you're reading uh, Harry Potter, but you are reading a really well put together um, uh, story. And I think um, uh, the, the basic genre is that of a, a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that's um, that's the primary way in which the uh, plots operate. Of course, there's fantasy. Of course, there's um, uh, the school story, but at the heart of them, they've all got. Um, uh, clues and red herrings and uh, um, a big reveal at the end about what's really been going on mm-hmm. uh, and I think um, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and how it um, uh, twists around and you think Sirius Black is the bad guy and you get all these details and then uh, at the end it twists everything around and you've got the whole time travel logic and actually it really holds together really well Mm -hmm. and uh that one that i really enjoyed and uh was impressed by uh some of the others like um goblet of fire is a bit less convinced by it's like (laughs) this seem this whole thing of oh we've got to enter harry into the competition so that he can touch the enchanted thing at the end of the year so that he gets um 
uh, whisked off to Voldemort seemed yeah there had to have been an easier way to do that <laughs> yeah yeah it's like, that's like if Rube Goldberg bit... was an evil wizard right <laughs> yeah quite uh, so so it doesn't always reach reach that that level sometimes it seems a little bit uh, more contrived but at her best J.K. Rowling can really um, uh, weave weave together a clever plot and uh, um, really draw you in into trying to piece together um, uh, those things Um, yeah that was um, I feel like that was kind of my journey with the books as well like when the first couple of books I was like okay these are basically just like really high class Scooby-Doo basically (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's like it's just it's just a mystery with some you know, magic elements to it, which is, it's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with high class Scooby-Doo, you know? And then you got, you get to the third book and it's like, okay, she's being a little more ambitious here. This is actually like a really twisty turning plot that actually really kind of works together really well. And then you get to the fourth book and it's like, oh, she thinks she's writing epic fantasy. What do you, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like I just, here's my whole thing with, with fan like maybe I just don't like the fantasy genre that much. Like maybe I, uh, I guess I feel like every fantasy book I've ever read is just kind of like a, like a lesser version of the Lord of the Rings. You know, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like there's always some ultimate evil villain and a scrappy young hero who has to fight him, and it's just like, eh, how many times do I need to hear this story? <laughs> I mean, it is interesting the um, uh, the Lord of the Rings influences in um, Harry Potter because um, I think uh, it's definitely quite derivative of a whole bunch of other stuff. It kind of puts a lot of influences into the blender and um, things like um, uh, the Sword in the Stone with. Um, uh, Merlin as the tutor, and that is kind of a very, very much a. Uh, precursor to the the, the to Dumbledore and the whole wizarding school type um, type thing, and uh, you can see Narnia and all sorts of other stuff having um, a lot of uh, um, subtle and not so subtle uh, borrowings right. and things. Um, yeah, it's interesting because uh, Voldemort basically his shtick is. Um, kind of the same as um, uh, Sauron. I'm going to externalize my power into these other objects which have to be destroyed so I can be destroyed. But Sauron only had one ring, but I've got seven Horcruxes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's kind of, um, I wonder whether there was a point in the planning of the series where um, in early stages where it was going to be destroy a Horcrux every book, but then it kind of got more complicated as it um uh develop, developed um type, type thing um but I that do was think- my i will say that that i'm just going to jump in here because this is yeah, my sure. this is my harry potter rant <laughs> <laughs> like my, my issue with the i think my issue with the books comes back to i think it was the very first chapter of philosopher's stone or maybe it was the second i guess it was the second but um um it's the the uncle character what What's his name? Uncle Harry's Vernon. uncle. 
Uncle Vernon. Yeah. Like he's, he's out and about and he sees like people dancing around in wizard, wizard cloaks and like celebrating the death of Voldemort or whatever. Like when I read that chapter, I genuinely thought she was like trying to parody traditional fantasy like mm-hmm. all these wizards celebrating the death of Voldemort, like, hey, we defeated this ultimate evil with a vaguely Latin sounding name, you know, like in this in this fantasy in in the fantasy realm, like there's always some all powerful, uh, you know, evil that's all, you know, pure evil that you always have to defeat. Um, and I thought that was like a joke. Like I thought it was like, haha. I'm parodying fantasy books. And then I get like two or three books in and it's like, Oh wait, she wants me to take Voldemort seriously. <laughs> like I'm actually supposed to be scared of this guy. I, I just thought he was like a joke for the first chapter, you know, like I, I don't know. So that was kind of when the series lost me, but it's possible <laughs> that I just, it's possible that I just have issues with the fantasy genre that I need to resolve. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I I like the fantasy thing. I mean, one of my issues with sort of towards the tail end of the series is that it didn't get more epic. In that uh-huh. I feel feel that um, it stayed a bit too beholden to the school story formula for too too long. Because huh. uh, the the thing that bothers me in terms of one of the things that um, I think is that a bit like Narnia, it's a fun hodgepodge of different elements but it doesn't really stand up to scrutiny when you start to think (laughs) too hard about uh the world uh and in particular it's not like the lord of the rings where you can tell tolkien has spent like literal decades crafting this (laughs) particular world where everything fits together and makes perfect sense yeah yeah and and in some senses um uh that that that's fine. You just need enough world to support the story you're telling. Um, but um, uh, one of the things is is that if there's just one school um, for the entirety of uh, Britain for wizards, um, and uh, it's like it's not massive classes or anything, um, then we're talking about a uh, a wizarding population of. Um, no bigger than the town I grew up in, probably. We're talking like um, uh, maybe uh, 10,000 wizards in the UK tops. So for for Voldemort to be wanting to take over... the the wizarding world it's like hey i'm going to rule over uh this small town's worth of people and um i think um if they'd have developed at least shown kind of hinted at what voldemort's next step what would have been um so <laughs> how uh what what would it have looked like for him to um uh then try and rule the muggle world if his agenda was that wizards are this um su- superior pure race and they should rule over the the muggles and mudbloods um then uh what what would that look like for muggles and uh not necessarily getting into like uh him turning up in um uh number 10 and turning the prime minister into a frog type thing or avada cadavering uh uh, him uh but um uh maybe just pushing a bit more at the boundaries between wizarding and and muggle world and having that threat of the whole 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 order disintegrating i think would have 
elevated Voldemort as a villain uh, somewhat. If you, if you'd have got a, a sense of 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 the the bigger picture, the bigger ambition. <laughs> uh, so that's that's another um, uh, uh, another little critique. Um, but I will get on to where uh, where I think um, the series really does shine and why it deserves a place in the kind of classics of of children's literature because uh, um uh, i do think that by now <laughs> yeah I, I was always kind of puzzled by like the separatism of the wizarding world it's like oh we have to keep ourselves a secret right and like voldemort's like no we should rule over muggles and it's like why are those the only two options yeah. why isn't there like a good wizard who's like we should use our magic to help muggles <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> although on the on the other hand like I get the impression that being a wizard isn't actually all that great from the series. Like sure they have magic, but it goes wrong in all the exact same ways that modern technology can go wrong. And it doesn't seem to make their lives any easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it makes certain things easier, but like it can go wrong in even worse ways. So it's, it's really kind of a wash. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I feel that the, um, the magic for the most part in Harry Potter is very non-mystical. It is quite, um, <laughs> it's, um, it's weird technology. Um, uh, yeah. it's, it's not, um, it's, it's not fantastical in the sense that some fantasy novels try to, um, reach for something, I guess, a bit more, um, wild or transcendent or, um, other to uh, the order of things. It's very much a tool that's uh, imperfectly under the control of the wizards who use it and is largely morally uh, neutral. Um, neutral, uh, yeah. Which, which is, is, is fine for, for what it's doing. I think it does, um, w- with its world, then uh, do other things that are very interesting, but uh, it's kind of it's almost like a, a parody of technology and how we use technology in a way. And there's uh, a lot of humor from that and from the, the incomprehension between, um, between worlds. <laughs> I've said this before um, elsewhere, but the world creation in Harry Potter more than anything kind of reminds me of world creation in the Flintstones, you know, like it's, <laughs> It's just the same kind of fill in the blank, like remove technology, insert dinosaur or remove technology, insert magic. You know, it's just a very, very similar approach to world creation. Yeah. Um, basically, what I'm saying is Harry Potter should have been a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. That's, <laughs> that's basically what I'm saying. It's Scooby-Doo meets the Flintstones. Um, OK, but let's let's get into like what what you really think about um, Harry Potter now. Like now you're convinced it's. A literary masterpiece, or is that overstating it a bit? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, given uh, with with all due qualifications around um, uh, prose style and the limits of the world building, uh, I do think the Harry Potter books um, deserve a place in the in the sort of canon of classics of children's literature, um, and. Um, uh, I think one of the things that there's, there's several things that um, uh, contribute to that. There's great characters, there's great humour, uh, great 
storytelling and plot sometimes holes but on on the most part very well well constructed uh um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it should be underestimated just uh, how many memorable, uh, now iconic characters. Um, that, I mean, Harry Potter is a bit more of a blank. It's a kind of insert yourself in here as um, uh, a way in for the audience. But you've got all these wonderful personalities from uh, Hagrid to Dumbledore to um, uh, Snape who begin off quite cartoonishly but by the end um there's have had a lot of depth and complexity um added to them uh and it's uh, a series that grows up in that way it's a bit like uh in that respect again like um uh, the Sword in uh, the Stone by T.H. White, which starts off very light and childishly and ends up growing into uh, retelling the Arthurian story and grappling with all these big questions of human nature, of war and violence, and can human beings uh, be changed? Can there be uh, a really uh, good, um, good society? Are we doomed for everything to fall apart like Camelot does um, and um, again there's, there's there's limits to the extent it grows up but I think it does um, uh, um, do uh, do that and there, there is a there is a heartfelt and sincere and um, with some real thought and depth to the whole idea of how um, it sounds sounds cheesy, uh, but how how love overcomes uh, evil. But it takes what's a kind of um, uh, <laughs> uh, mom's uh, apple pie type thing and actually um, uh, deals with that. And it has uh, it has betrayals. It has uh, uh, dark and difficult times. Um, it puts them all through the ringer, and um, it tells something that I think is um, is mo- is moving, memorable, and also tapping into some of the uh, the big themes of um, of sacrifice uh, of um, uh, of self sacrifice and um uh all of that kind of thing uh and in fact there's a sense in which i think um it's a uh a better christian allegory or or a better christian fantasy it's not an allegory and that's possibly one of the reasons it's better better christian fantasy than the narnia books um and the narnia fans still are raising their pitchforks at the moment i imagine (laughs) but um i think it more it more deeply um and thoughtfully works in um all of the stuff uh around um there's ways in which you can see Harry as a as a Christ uh, figure. He's someone who uh, lays down his life for his friends. Who um, uh, that then causes the death curse to rebound, um, uh, protecting those he's sacrificing himself for. He ends up in King's Cross and then comes back uh, from the dead in <laughs> in the final book, pretty much. And it's like if that's not setting off uh, some um, some bells. Uh, 
in in your mind then uh, some of the biblical allusions uh, so that his parents have on their gravestone a quotation from uh, Corinthians about the last enemy to be defeated is death and um, from the context of a passage about resurrection um, there's an awful lot going on there and uh, as I've gone on I've come to see more of that woven all the way through and there being a uh, a depth to the themes that's um, uh, I think really um, uh, beautiful and tapping into something uh, good and and true uh, so so yeah so that's <laughs> that's that's why I think um, uh, what what appears at first glance to be just a fun um, uh, uh, lightweight fantasy um series has uh has much more going on for it and has uh more more depth in terms of its its themes and what it's pointing to uh than uh might at first be obvious so were you were you well into adulthood when you when you changed your mind on this then or um i guess i guess it was more of a slow realization and sure. i think i think it was um picking up so um i think it's john granger had written some stuff uh picking up on that um uh um even uh after the first few books so while the series was still in train he'd sort of picked up on some of the um medieval christian imagery um and uh, i think maybe some of the alchemical stuff as well that's woven woven into it and he'd sort of started um uh, going oh there's something interesting uh going on here um but i think um it got to the point where by the time i um uh finished the sixth book i'd worked out how the seventh book was going to end and i got it right because <laughs> i was <laughs> tracking with the themes um and it was the whole thing around um harry um sac- uh, sacrificing himself i thought oh um uh you had all of the stuff explained in the sixth book about horcruxes um and i was like harry's going to end up being a horcrux and he's going to um uh sacrifice himself to defeat Voldemort but because he's doing it out of his love like his mum uh, he'll be saved and that will uh, sort of stop him from being a horcrux it'll be the thing that um, that rescues him and there's a little bit more to it in um, uh, the final book particularly with the elder wand and some quite complicated logic there which hadn't been set up yet but um, but basically that that's what uh, what what had happened, and and I actually found that really satisfying because it's like um, I'd pretty much worked out where it's going, but it it was fulfilling the themes and the plots and the logic it had set up earlier. So I think it's much better to end a story in a way that makes sense uh, and is satisfying than to go surprise twist and do something <laughs> um, uh, completely out there. And uh, certain writers like um, Stephen Moffat on <laughs> Doctor Who and um, uh, uh, others I could name, uh, I think, um, should take notes because there's 
a certain type of writer, especially those who are very um, aware of fan reaction spoilers, who tend to <laughs> make their stories worse by um, trying to uh, out-twist the audience, uh, whereas <laughs> delivering well on uh, where the story seems to be going would actually work better. <laughs> um, no, no shade for Doctor Who here. I think Doctor Who's a perfectly good show, but more often than not, the conclusions of the episodes seem to come completely out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan, uh, and I do think Stephen Moffat has some great ideas, written some brilliant episodes, but he's also uh, written some really um, disappointing <laughs> conclusions as well. So, um, yeah, um, uh, I... I I say it out of a place of uh, of uh, of love, but uh, yeah, it's like Doctor Who. Uh, your endings can very often be much better. <laughs> um, I want to poke at something you said a little bit earlier about um, Harry Potter versus Narnia. Yeah. Um, you said that you know you think it's a better. Uh, you, you didn't want to use the word allegory and that's fine, but, um, a better Christian parable, let's say, uh, than Narnia is. And you listed some of the, some of the Christian themes in Harry Potter, but I don't think you really got it. What, how you think that makes it better than Narnia. I just like to hear you, uh, draw that distinction a little better if you can. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just curious. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons it's better is that I think it's more organically woven into the story. So it's it's subtler. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. Um, uh, I think, I mean, C.S. Lewis had the whole thing around. He said, oh, it's not actually an allegory. It's a supposal. What if right, right. Um, Jesus really was a, a magic being in another world type thing? I think that brings in a whole uh, other bunch of <laughs> problems uh, with it. If you, um, it's kind of uh, literalizing it, and then it kind of raises all sorts of theological problems. Of well, all of the things that doesn't add up with Narnia suddenly becomes a lot more problematic if you're trying <laughs> to treat it as real theology. <laughs> like, what's what's an example there of something um, that doesn't add up? So, well. Um, not so much does it add up, but I guess if you're trying to map it onto what would the um, incarnation, death, resurrection look like in a, in another world? In in Narnia, it's like it's for one boy, it's for Edmund, and it's like okay, well, how does that track onto um, uh, someone being a savior of the whole whole world? I guess he's then going mm. and defeating. Um, the White Witch, but it's kind of um, uh, the, the logic of it's a bit muddy. It doesn't really match up when you you think about it with what Christians mm. uh, think is the significance of Christ's death and resurrection as bringing forgiveness and new life to uh, to all people. Um, type Isn't the idea though that Aslan dies to defeat the deep magic? From before time, which yeah. in theory should um, govern everyone in Narnia. <laughs> um, 
again, it's one of those things that's not really <laughs> um, uh, worked out. It's kind of um, alluded to, but it only really makes sense if you're taking it as an allegory for law and gospel in uh, or law and grace in in biblical terms. It doesn't work as a world in its its own right, um, so to speak. Okay, um, I think. Um, and the other thing I think it, where um, uh, Harry Potter is better is um, now Philip Pullman made an interesting um, critique of the Narnia books. He's made many uninteresting ones as well, which are sort of uh, superficial. And, <laughs> isn't that like? Um, uh, isn't that like all Philip Pullman does? Is yeah. just complain about the Narnia books. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I saw someone say that if they had a book, who, um, if they named a character Pullman, who was so obviously wrestling with this other. Uh, book um they'd sort of think it was a bit too on the nose as naming of a character um i mean the the uh his dark materials begins with a little girl hiding in a wardrobe so uh but uh she's there uh disobediently um uh whereas lucy hiding in the wardrobe isn't doing anything wrong which is kind of in a nutshell the difference in view between um pullman and lewis in terms of um, right. childhood and obedience disobedience whether it's necessary to have a have a fall to become mature and so on um so there's there's lots of inter- interesting <laughs> things going on there but something he said about narnia was that um aslan is much more a symbol of power than he is of of love um and that's kind of uh missing the point of um christian teaching um somewhat um and um i do think uh i think the way he says it wasn't quite that and was probably overstated but i i do think there's something in that in that um uh you much more get a sense of awe and of aslan's power than you do of the idea of uh, uh of love explicitly and there's there's sacrifice yes but it's kind of more as a gambit to defeat the um mm. uh the white witch um uh and whereas i think the whole uh the 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 sacrificial love and it's love that has the power to um, overcome evil and uh, love that is sacrificing itself non non violently uh, is something that comes across much clearer uh, in the Harry Potter books and so um, I think there's a really interesting um, thing about how Harry's signature spell is uh, Expelliarmus. Um, and how he um, uh, disarms Voldemort rather than uh, overcoming him with uh, uh, being more power, which the movie completely messes up by having them sort of just uh, zapping, <laughs> um, oh, whose who's CGI is going to be more effective than the other character's CGI. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, Isn't that what movies are yeah. all about, though? Just putting as much CGI um, on the screen as in, you can. <laughs> in, in the book, it's very much um, uh, Voldemort tries to kill him. Harry doesn't, isn't more powerful with his wand. He just 
uses the disarming spell and that uh, rebounds it. So it's making evil rebound upon itself. So it's not not himself uh, killing Voldemort, but Voldemort um, uh, turning Voldemort's evil back upon upon him. Um, it's interesting, though. Um... To me, what you said about Aslan being more a symbol of of power than of love, which I, I think is probably, to an extent at least, a fair criticism. Like in the Narnia books, Aslan is very much kind of this otherworldly figure. Like he is very clearly a god that the characters never really understand. Like he's obviously a force for good, but you don't really ever fully understand him or certainly relate to him in the books. Whereas, um, you know, Harry, like you said, is this very (laughs) kind of just this generic Campbellian hero you're supposed to project yourself onto like the Luke Skywalker of the books, if you will. Um, which is interesting. I don't know. This is just a thought that I had now. So I'm still kind of tossing it over in my head. I don't know how I feel as a Christian about like, the Christ figure character being the one I'm supposed to relate to, you know? Um, Cause like, mm. I'm not Jesus and I'm not supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, Jesus is, you know, I mean, there's, there's kind of the, I mean, there's a sense in which, okay, yeah, Jesus is my friend or whatever, but like Jesus is my God, you know, Jesus is, is, is um, my Lord. I don't know if I'm, supposed to see myself in his role yeah. you know um, i don't know i guess uh the the danger is well um with 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 the narnia books they're quite cavalier in terms of um they're quite happy to have um the the kids who end up in narnia end up going into battle following aslan into battle and um i right. think in principle, I'd probably say I'm uh, a sort of. I probably come down on a uh, a just war side of things. Are they saying that probably ninety percent plus of all wars fought uh, haven't met that criteria? <laughs> probably much higher than that ninety five percent or whatever. So I, I'm not not saying that there isn't a place to uh, to fight in principle, but I think. Um, in terms of what you're taking on as a reader, in terms of how you should uh, behave, uh, as it were, or how you should be formed as a person, uh, that um, uh, what you get in Harry Potter is uh, a much more helpful uh, formation of a, a character of self-giving love. Um, and I think there's lots of great, things about the Narnia books I do really love them and I think that sense of encountering something transcendently good and powerful is something that Lewis does brilliantly and I don't think that that's um a bad thing uh, uh, I think Pullman probably does think it's a bad thing but I do think there's probably a dimension um of that's core to Christianity, uh, that idea of um, uh, of uh, self-sacrificial love that doesn't come through as clearly in 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 the Narnia books, even in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it's kind of um, central, but love isn't really part of the framing of it. That is an interesting point um, about the you know one of the major differences between these 
two series um, is, you know, they're both, they're both seven books, but Narnia kind of opens with Mm. this sacrifice, like in terms of the whole series, like the first book is about this sacrifice, whereas Harry Potter kind of climaxes with it. Um, You know, and Harry Potter, you know, very much follows the the standard trajectory of like the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey um, kind of deal. Whereas Narnia is kind of, it's a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit more free form. Every book's kind of, kind of different, but that's, what's, what's interesting to me about Narnia in some ways is that it kind of, it, so much of the series ends up being with about kind of like this aftermath of like, mm. what do we do with this sacrifice? You know, like in, in, and in that sense, it's kind of, it's less about like the gospel and more about like the history of Christianity in a lot of ways. Like, it's like, okay, this sacrifice happened, Jesus died, et cetera. What do we do with it now? You know, and in the real world, like, so it it seems like so rarely the principle of self-sacrifice actually seems to make sense, you know? Um, And I, you know, obviously I'm not like saying I I reject the principle of self-sacrifice. I'm just saying in, in like time and space, you know, in the short term, at least self-sacrifice just doesn't, doesn't pay off immediately, you know? Um, and yeah. I, you know, obviously I'm just, I'm just tossing ideas around. These are ideas popping into my head as I'm saying them. Um, but like so often it feels like you have to, you have to fight in the real world against whatever evil is in front of you. And I, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm- so in some, in some, in some sense, that's a little more interesting to me about like, like if we believe in this idea of, of self-sacrifice, self-denial, etc. But we live in this world that seems to reward the opposite. Like, how do we live that out? You know, and that's, in some ways, that's a more interesting yeah. question um, to me. Well, a couple of things. I'm not sure that um, Aslan's sacrifice really has any continuing ramifications or reflection. Uh, it's n- never really something that's referred back to in the other Narnia books uh, d- um, directly. That's a good point. Um, uh, I thought about that. And I think with yeah. um, with Harry Potter, there is um, <laughs> there is this very black and white evil that must be fought, and they do um, do fight fight against Voldemort and that. But just I guess this is where um, I feel that it's. Um, it's reaching beyond just talking about um, the everyday and gesturing towards um, something more transcendent is that uh, it's pointing towards the, um, the ultimate um, uh, value of, um, uh, of loving uh, sacrifice in overcoming uh, evil. I think that's um, uh, that even though it doesn't always work out <laughs> or even usually work out like that in, in everyday life. It's um, it both um, uh, points us in the direction of uh, a, a higher moral aspiration to be uh, striving towards. And also, I mean, I believe as a Christian that um, through Christ's sacrifice, the course of history really has been changed and will um, uh, pay off in in the end, as it were, in the whole world being um, restored. And so it's a pointing forward to that. 
Um, and I guess I think having having seen that and it comes out particularly, it's particularly obvious once you get to the last book, um, you also then begin to see anticipations of that all over the, the Narnia series and all sorts of uh, interesting ways those themes and images are being played out and um, different variations being uh, explored across the series. So, yeah. So, I mean, another another place where the Christian imagery comes out, for example, is um, uh, Chamber of Secrets, where you have um, uh, the, the serpent... Uh, Harry is the hero facing off against uh, the serpent and being brought back by uh, the tears of the phoenix, um, which uh, was a medieval uh, symbol of uh, of resurrection. Um, uh, there's there's that there. You've also got um, interesting um, when they destroy one of the Horcruxes. It's kind of going down into. Uh, the water to get the sword uh, and there's a whole thing of um, uh, kind of baptism type stuff there that's interesting to unpack but you could do whole as and as I'm unpacking the um, all of the illusions and symbols in in Harry Potter once you start digging into it and I think that's one of the reasons why it does have lasting value is that there's a lot more depth there than it might at first seem (laughs) yeah i guess my issue with with stuff like this is that when the when this kind of what we've said is kind of this blank slate hero character that we're supposed to project ourselves onto like when he makes the ultimate sacrifice sacrifices himself at the end like i feel like our minds as readers kind of go to this place of like oh yeah i totally do that like it it kind of to me, at least it kind of trivializes what self-sacrifice is. Like it makes it seem like something everybody would do when in reality, it's a very rare thing. Mm. And it obviously costs a lot. Um, that's what the definition of sacrifice is. Like, of course, it, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I have issues with that when, I, when I'm supposed to identify with this hero and he makes the ultimate sacrifice and it's like, but most people wouldn't make the ultimate sacrifice. So I really shouldn't be identifying with this hero. I don't know. I guess I see some of the value in that is that even though we perhaps wouldn't, perhaps we become a bit more likely to, uh, to be ready to do that. Um, uh, The more we take these stories into our souls and um, think on them and are inspired by them, um and there's also- i mean does it work that way though i mean I, I i hope it does i hope it does i'm just saying for me at least like it, it it's much more likely to just make me feel better about myself like oh yeah i would totally do that and then i never <laughs> actually have to have to think about like doing it for real you know like yeah i don't know i i i i don't know i um i don't have any empirical <laughs> evidence but i I think um, do do stories actually make a difference to uh, yeah. our character, or are they, or do they just make us feel uh, feel better? That's a that's a good 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 question. And that's that's to me that's the difference between like contemporary literature and like say for instance medieval literature. It's like if you read Beowulf, 
It's like you're not supposed to identify with Beowulf. You're not supposed to see yourself in the character of Beowulf. You're not supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's me right there up uh, in this poem. Like it's it's like Beowulf represents these virtues and there's an implicit uh, lesson there of, oh, you're supposed to, you, you know, you need to develop these virtues in yourself. You know, whereas with with a Harry Potter or a Luke Skywalker type character, it's like, no, you're just supposed to see yourself up on the screen being the hero. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's something lost there in, in modern literature as a rule. Yeah, maybe a sense of um, uh, of, a ga- of a gap um, between where we are and the heroes that we're enjoying their adventures i guess um it's it's that every man um thing versus the exceptional hero um we we all like to think that we'd just be just like luke or um uh harry potter if we only had um jedi powers and the lightsaber or if we had um the magic (laughs) ones and they're pretty much (laughs) they're pretty similar in lots of ways um especially uh given the extent to uh which they follow a lot of the same archetypal patterns but um yeah no i think that's 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 a good 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 question um i think there's a challenge there to the way we read stories and interpret them as well i think um uh there's ways in which we can um uh use stories uh in different ways um and uh probably there's some responsibility on the reader as well in terms of whether you um take something like um uh yeah this is something i want to uh, aspire to and uh, recognize that isn't necessarily the way I behave um, versus uh, a sort of um, presumptuous oh yeah of course I'd be the hero if I was in in that situation but then at the same time books can be better or worse at kind of prodding readers to really consider that <laughs> But yeah, I think it's it's a good it's a good question to ask yourself about stories. Is um, what would I do in that situation, and um, uh, what would I do versus um, uh, what I'd like to think I would do? <laughs> I don't know. This is kind of an off the wall comparison, but um, and it's a very American comparison. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just re- remember like back in the eighties there was this trend toward these action movies with like muscle bound heroes who were just mowing down row after row of bad guys. Like, you know, the Rambo series is one example, you know, and the standard explanation for that, the standard, you know, cultural explanation for that is, Oh, we were just coming off of losing the Vietnam war. We all wanted to imagine that we could be great again, you know, make America great again. Well, there it is. Um, there's the roots of that. Um, we all wanted to imagine that we could be this hero again, but what is completely missing from these eighties action movies is this question of like, how do we like, what does it actually mean to be a hero and how do you develop the virtues of heroism? It's, it's very much just like, Oh yeah, we can be the hero without even, without really asking like, how do you become a hero? Mm. You know, it's in, it's much more about reassuring 
the viewer of their virtues than it is about encouraging the viewer to develop virtues. Yeah. Well, if you know what I'm saying, I think a lot of pop culture is, is very preoccupied with that question of there's, there's a couple of ways in which say, um, uh, the superhero, um, phenomenon can be interpreted, interpreted. You can just see that purely as wish fulfillment, but, and certainly there's a large element of that of just being strong and powerful and having these incredible abilities and so on but i do think that bound up with that there's a reflection on um uh, what does it mean to use your abilities well how do you aspire to um uh develop your own potential but also to turn it to the good of others um, and I think to some degree that, um, uh, um, I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man's a classic example with, with great power comes great responsibility and different films in that franchise right. uh, do better or worse jobs at uh, engaging with that question meaningfully or not. Sometimes it's just, just a <laughs> slogan. Um, right. Other times it's really core to... Um, uh, to how it treats the characters and how it uh, how it develops the story of um, uh, the film, but it's very much there, and I think we shouldn't underestimate that or the value of uh, uh, of that and similar things like being a wizard in in Harry Potter. Again, it's there's a a fun wish fulfillment. Wouldn't it be great if we could fly around on brooms and transfigure ourselves and have all these zany adventures? Uh, but also then um, uh, with that kind of power, um, well, how might people uh, misuse that and how would you stand up to, to that and use your powers in that in that regard to, um, uh, to do that? And... Uh, yeah, I think although we are rarely called, to, uh, most of us won't be called to lay down our lives. There's ways in which we can uh, uh, make small, smaller types of sacrifice, just in terms of how we engage with other people as well. And uh, I hope that stories uh, have some uh, some help in just helping us be a bit less selfish and taking us outside ourselves and. Um, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that sounds like a good place to end the conversation about Harry Potter. Cause I know we're running a little bit out of time. Um, but real quick before you go, I have three kind of general philosophical questions. I've been asking all my guests questions that are kind of trying to get at how do we know ourselves? How do we know what truth is? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask those to you, um, Caleb. What do you think? What is identity? Do people have an identity? Is there is identity <laughs> essential to who we are? Um, what do you think? Where I do think we get our identity from? That yeah, sort of that's, thing. That's a big one. Um, I think I think one of the things we underestimate uh, in our culture is the extent to which our identity is um, formed by our relationships with other people so um i think uh, we tend to kind of think of a true inner self but actually uh in many ways we're um the sum of uh uh 
our friendships, our enmities, our um, family and work and uh, other stuff. So I think, um, I don't think that's a complete answer, but I think that's probably something that's worth um, reflecting on uh, more so than um, we we often tend to do where it's very much uh, purely about the individual. That's a good, good word on that. Um, what is human nature? What do you think? Do we all have an innate nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different um, deep down? Are we all blank slates? Well, what do you think? I think, I think we probably have uh, uh, quite distinct personalities. We're not blank slates in that, that respect. And, um yeah i think um i think with human nature you always uh pressed up against um that capacity both for great um great good and great evil and just how uh humans seem balanced between that in some sense um uh there's that that tension of um <laughs> Uh, we we can be so amazing, but so incredibly stupid at the same time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I I I I hope our better qualities will uh, win out over the stupid. But I think we might need need some help from uh, uh, beyond our own <laughs> own resources for for that to happen um, uh, and. Yeah, I mean that's a big, big thing where my Christ, uh, Christian faith comes in as well is uh, recognizing that both beauty and brokenness. But uh, actually, there's a need for um, uh, a power beyond us to uh, restore us to what we should truly be. Cool, cool. What is <laughs> truth? What do you think? Um, is there such a thing as truth? How do we find uh, truth? How do we know truth yes, when we but see it's it? Really hard to. <laughs> uh, um, yes, but it's often hard work um, uh, finding it and knowing that you found it. Um, so, yes, but we shouldn't glibly assume that we've we've got it. <laughs> um, I think we can increase our likelihood of, of getting to it as much through um, moral character as through intelligence. So if we're humble, we're more likely to listen to others who know more about stuff than ourselves. If we if we love a subject, we're more likely to um, really dig into it and understand it uh, deeply. Um, if we're... Uh, courageous and brave and not afraid to face hard truths then we're more likely to to find it so it's as much about character as well as just it's not just about brute intelligence although um uh it does require careful thought and Hmm. logic and evidence and all those uh, things as well and that is a good word and it sounds like the perfect place to end it yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, anything else you got to say? You got? You, do you have something to plug? Twitter feed or anything like that? Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at calebwoodbridge dot com. Uh, no, at, at Caleb Woodbridge, and then um, my website is www dot 
kerbwoodbridge.com but I'm very sporadic but occasionally I'll put something up about um, uh, often about uh, either faith or stories or cult, pop culture or something like that so uh, d- uh, take a poke around if you're interested <laughs> very cool all right this has been changed my mind with luke t harrington i'm luke t harrington you can find me on twitter at luke t harrington or go to my website luketharrington.com i will see you next time Recently, I've been reading a biography of Amy Semple McPherson. It's called Amy Semple McPherson and the Resurrection of Christian America. Um, it's by a historian named Matthew Avery Sutton. It came about, out about 10 years ago. Um, if you don't know who Amy Semple McPherson is, um, she was kind of a revivalist, uh, Pentecostal preacher in the early 20th century. She was really big in the 20s and 30s. Um, she founded a, a mega church in Los Angeles called Angelus Temple, and it is still there, um, and it is actually still thriving. Um, the book that I I've been reading is not not sympathetic to her. Let's say um, it paints her as kind of a, an opportunist and fame hungry and casually racist. Um, and I think a lot of that characterization is accurate. Um, I don't know if I'm quite as negative on her as a, as a Sutton is, but it's probably mostly accurate. Um, the whole time I'm reading, I've just been thinking, you know, how does a message like this get so popular? Um, I think McPherson was basically wrong about many, many things about, you know, Christian theology and, you know, ecclesiology and history even. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this book thinking, how does this message get so popular? And the answer is because that's what a lot of people really wanted to hear um we have you know a free market for religion in the u.s um which you know it has its advantages and its disadvantages but the thing about free markets is that they don't decide what's right they just decide what's popular and so if you're telling people what they want to hear you're pretty much guaranteed financial success um and that's kind of my concern about books like harry potter like i'm not here to rag on potter specifically and i apologize to any harry potter fans out there who feel like i'm being unnecessarily harsh um but i do i do stand by kind of what i said in the conversation um which is that material like harry potter can be at least a little dangerous in presenting this hero to the reader who they're just supposed to project themselves onto and identify with. And if that's all you do, if that's if if all you do is say, "Hey, that's me vanquishing Voldemort," 
then the material really isn't challenging you to cultivate virtue in your life. It just becomes, well, duh, I'd make the ultimate sacrifice. I'm the hero of my story. Um, and I don't know if everybody who reads these books thinks that way, but I certainly do when I read a book like that. And I can't imagine I'm the only one. Um, I was trying to draw a little bit of a contrast there between, you know, what sells well now versus like classical literature, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm using air quotes when I say classical, but it is it is interesting to me. I talked about Beowulf. You read Beowulf and the message of Beowulf is you need to develop these virtues that Beowulf exhibits. Um Stuff, something like the Odyssey going for even further back is even more interesting because it's not like you're supposed to identify with Odysseus. Like if there's a central theme to the Odyssey, it's like, hey, look how much better people descended from the gods are than you are, um, which in some ways actually kind of dovetails with um, how Aslan is presented in Narnia. Now that I think about it. Um, but the point is this, that so much of what is popular in fiction and cinema right now feels more to me like emotional therapy for the viewer than anything that's likely to help them become better people. But, you know, it's possible that I'm wrong about that with Harry Potter. It's possible that there's more to that book than I'm giving it credit for. Um, I know a lot of people really like the books and I'm not trying to make you guys mad just to make you guys mad. Um, I'm curious, who do you think was right? I feel like, obviously I, I still agree with myself, but I do feel like Caleb <laughs> did a better job of bringing the goods in that conversation. So I, I'm worried that he might've actually won the debate to the extent that it was a debate. Um, but I'm curious what you think. So please tweet at me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, or you can shoot me an email at luke.t.harrington at gmail.com. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think, what you have to say. Um, I'd also like to just throw this out there that I am always looking for more guests to have on the show. I need to have a new guest for every episode. So, you know, I'm constantly burning through my guest list. Um, if you or someone you know changed your mind about something big, um, please contact me. And I really am eager to have people I disagree with even more on the show. You know, I'd love to have like some libertarians or some neo-pagans or, um, I don't know, some young earth creationists or something. Um, please, uh, drop me a line at, on Twitter or via email, um, I'm going to leave it there for this week. I want to thank Caleb Woodbridge for being on the show, and I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and don't be afraid to change your mind.